If you're like me, you enjoy a good meal. And there have been times I've worked outside or had to do this or had to do that and was sweating and felt like I needed some water and I felt like I was hungry enough to eat a horse and chase the rider. But in this instance here, what we have are people who have been brought so low in their life that they're actually eating things they never thought they would eat. Who could think that someone would actually sell the head of a donkey? And Who is it that could honestly believe that dove droppings would be of any value to anybody? Dove droppings, dove's dung is what is left on your windshield after you park under a tree. That's the splatter that comes from the fowl of the air after you parked under some telephone lines and the birds fly away and you come out there and stare at that car that you spent hours washing and waxing. Somebody actually was taking the time to sell this and amazingly there were people to buy it. And I'm sure there were many family members sitting around their homes asking themselves this question, honey, did you ever think we'd come to this point where we'd be scraping meat off of the jawbone of a donkey to feed our kids, to feed ourselves? Maybe there are some people who can still remember how bad the dirty 30s were, and there are some who would tell you that during those days they didn't have much to eat. But I don't think I've heard stories of people eating like this. So bad was it that cannibalism manifested itself in Samaria. The king was walking by the wall one day and the lady said, King, could you help us? He said, well, if God doesn't help you, there's nothing I can do. He said, well, what's wrong with you? He said, well, she said, well, this lady and I, we conspired together to eat our children. We ate mine, but she's hidden hers. I want you to think about that. This could have been an infant, this could have been a toddler, but can you imagine a, 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 some kind of a, a, a boiling apparatus with hot water in it and you place in it a child and you know that there are screams and there's all kind of hollering and yet the mother permitted her own child to be boiled to death. Then the very next day expected the other mother to do the same thing, having observed what happened the previous, previous occasion. That king was broken. He couldn't believe it. He, 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 he took his clothes off. He put on sackcloth and ashes. He was upset at God. More importantly, he was upset at the man of God by the name of Elisha because he knew Elisha had power to deal with this. And he was a king. He had authority. He had power. He was a political man, but he didn't have power to change this. And so he sent somebody to actually kill Elisha. Elisha was sitting at home one day with some of the elders, and he told the men, he said, look, this man has sent an executioner to kill me. When he comes, you hold him at the door because I can hear the feet of his master coming behind him. The king came in and said, I just don't understand why God is permitting this to come to us. And I like what Elisha said in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. He said, in 24 hours, things are going to turn around. Now, here's what's important. For every famine, God usually has a man or woman to help change the conditions. That's important to know from Scripture. Famine is a terrible thing. It 
causes us to compromise the virtues that we possess sometimes. Just when you say in your heart and in your mind, I would never do that. I would never say that. I would never go there. I would never be a part of that. Circumstances in your life could change and pretty soon you can find yourself going downward and pretty much end up in a place where you don't even recognize yourself anymore. I know across this nation there are people working in various red light districts and there are people strung out on drugs. I'm selling drugs But I bet you some of the young ladies that are selling themselves, though there may be many who enjoy the promiscuity of it all, I'm sure there are handfuls of them across this nation that are in it because a mom and a dad or a grandparent passed away and they didn't end up with a place to live. Found themselves out in the cold trying to figure out how to take care of themselves. They find themselves in a famine doing things they wouldn't ordinarily do. Of course, a famine is a physical thing, but a famine also can be spiritual. Amos talked about a famine for the hearing of the word of God. It's not that the word of God wasn't present. You could have went into any village and found somebody that would take the time to pull out some Hebrew scrolls and read it. Even in Jesus' day, the the statement was made that, that Moses is read in the synagogue every week. But the problem is there's a famine for hearing what God is saying. People are dull of hearing. They're not listening to God. And whenever you become dull of hearing, a famine breaks out in your life spiritually. And when you're hungry and you're reaching out for some kind of spiritual nourishment, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself devouring things that aren't good. That's why you find that people who sit in churches where the, the word of God is not adequately taught, they end up in Buddhism. Well, they don't adequately hear the word of God and are grounded in the basics of redemption. They end up in some other kind of Far Eastern religion or they lose their faith altogether because of a famine. People say, I'm hungry. I, I, I want to hear from God. I want to have a greater relationship with God. I want to grow in grace and in knowledge. And so they're reaching out and grasping for different teachers to minister to them. Sometimes these people come with the kinds of teachings that do not help replenish or satisfy a person's need, but it perpetuates the famine. You flip the television on, there'll be somebody that'll tell you, I know you're having problems in your life, but if you trust in God, don't put that money on your medicine. Send that money to me. I'm good ground and you'll get a thousand fold return. There are people all across America. To do that. See, when a famine takes place, people are reaching and grasping for any kind of help that they can get. Don't misunderstand me. I understand the sincerity. I know exactly what they want, but I know that the answer doesn't lie in false teaching. It lies in chasing after God. It doesn't matter what king it is today. Ben-Hadad could die tonight, but there will always be another king the next day that will come against you to try to bring famine in your life because the adversary comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in the middle of this, God has a man named Elisha, and he said, I'm telling you right now, 24 hours from now, things will be different. Well, you've got to have somebody that thinks not just positively, Thinks biblically. God can turn your circumstances around just like that. 
It does not take him long at all. And I know you probably wonder, well, I can't I can't understand how he's going to do it. You don't need to understand how he's going to do it. You just need to know that he is going to do it. There are four lepers sitting here in the gate in the middle of all of this famine. I'm sure they're hearing the stories that I've been telling you about. And they sit here conversing with one another. And you can see from the last sentence in verse three is they're asking the question. Death is on their mind. They've got three problems. Leprosy. They're idle because they're not doing anything. And then they're thinking about death. Leprosy was a disease that in the Old Testament required any person with leprosy to go to the priest. If the priest pronounced this is leprosy, you were then to be isolated from the community and could not live in the village anymore till you were healed. And on some occasions, somebody may have run in front of you and shouted, leper, leper, in order to notify the people that you were coming because they believed it was contagious. We used to have leprosariums here in America. Used to be some in Louisiana. There still are some in the Far East. Have you ever seen somebody with leprosy where they they no longer have a nose, but just two holes in their face? Where they no longer have an ear at all, but just a hole on either side? The way leprosy works, because it, it works on that skin and it begins basically to decay. A person to get up one morning, a finger or something will be left on the pillow or on the bed, and there won't even be any blood because of the manner in which the body deteriorates. It's a terrible disease. Seen people with elongated ears that come all the way down to their shoulders because of leprosy. Four men sitting outside the gate, they're thinking about death. They're thinking, okay, if there was really anything back there in that city worth having, we would have never left it in the first place. But at the same time, if our present condition wasn't so bad, why are we thinking about changing it? Then they think maybe we should just go out there into the darkness and see what happens to us. These are the thoughts that go through the head and minds of people that are facing death and they know it's inevitable. They're looking for ways to get out of death, hoping that there is a way to escape. But folks, listen to me. There's no reason for you to sit around and allow a thought of suicide or impending death to control your actions. You're a Christian. As long as you know God, you have hope. And as long as you have hope, you can put one footprint in front of the other and keep walking with God. You may have been in pain in your life or experiencing pain right now. And, and I've, I've heard people tell stories about how I've just, I can't tolerate everything that I'm going through. I want to end it right now. Please let me give them the, the power to hit a button just to end all of this that I'm passing through. We sympathize. We understand the predicament. But we also know that things can change just like that when you walk with God. Death is something that we'll never escape as long as sin is present in this world. And as long as we're in this world, sin will be present in this world. But folks, one day we're going to go to a place where there's no sin. And one day we're going to go to a place where we're not even going to have any conversations about death at all. Four men sitting at a gate 
They realize there's nothing back behind them. They realize there's nothing worth worth living for right here in the present circumstance. So they get their eyes on the Syrian army and they come up with the plan that maybe we can go and throw ourselves upon the Syrian army's mercy and maybe they will treat us kindly. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if if you are ever under the impression that your enemy is going to treat you kindly, you have been misinformed. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. And you may think, well, I'm just going to wait and see what happened. And maybe the devil will get better in his character and treat me nicely. I can promise you he's not going to do that at all. But how many times has, has, has a lady somewhere here in America that's living in a shelter and is hiding from a very abusive man? How many times have she began to think in her mind, OK, I just think if I go home. He'll change. If I make a meal for him that he likes, maybe his disposition towards me will change. And sure enough, he's calling around. He's going to visit family members, trying to locate her. And when she finally comes back home, he acts like everything is okay. And then three months later, six months later, you get a phone call that says so-and-so has been strangled or beat to death by her husband. If you begin to believe that that devil is going to treat you kindly without a change in nature, You've been misled. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. He brings his adversaries against us to lay siege to our soul because he wants there to be a famine in your life as well as in mine. He wants to create enough activity in your life where you won't have time to read the Bible. Where you won't have time to hear Christian music, where you won't have time to fellowship with the saints. And once you lose those basic Things in your Christian life, those basic components, I can tell you what's going to happen. Famine is going to set in. Once it does, you'll start eating anything. Yeah. Everything will become attractive to you. And pretty soon you'll find yourself there scraping the meat off of the jawbone of a donkey just like they were. But yours will be in a spiritual condition. You'll look back and you'll say, God, how did I get here? Lord say you got there because you got up from that gate and you went in the wrong direction. You had the wrong expectation. You thought the devil was going to treat you fairly and kindly. Well, they came to the conclusion because I guess they felt like they had to make some decision because no decision is still a decision. So in verse five, they got up in the middle of the night, started walking towards the camp. And lo and behold, when they got there, they couldn't find a soul. No man was there. Let's recall that in ancient times there were no street lights and there were no lamps unless we're talking about oil lamps or somebody with a candle. So imagine them out here just putting a candle or lamp out there in front of them to guide their footsteps. Like the scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It only gives enough illumination to go maybe about two or three feet ahead. And they get out there to the camp and realize there's not anybody out here. They go inside the first tent and they look around and it looks like the fire is still smoldering a little bit. Nobody's there. Going to the second tent, sure enough, it looks like the bedding is all ruffled. It still feels a bit warm, but there's nobody there. They try to go to the next tent, trip over something, look down there, and it looks like a beautiful silver cup has been left on the ground. And they're trying to figure out what in the world 
has happened and why did they all leave? According to verse number six, the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, the king of Israel has hired against us, the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. So they arose and fled in the twilight. Folks, I'm telling God can turn it around. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. He can do it all on his own. And when the men began to walk out there, they looked and all they could see were these treasures that were strewn along the sand that had been left behind as the people took off running. They thought they were surrounded by foreign adversaries and they had no idea they were simply surrounded by God. Think about that. Your adversaries are not bigger than your God. Don't ever forget that. And regardless of how difficult things may be in your life, there may be a famine you're facing financially, a famine you're facing in your health, a famine that you're facing in a marriage or in a family or in relationships with different people. All it takes God to do is call somebody or some persons to hear a noise. Everything can change just like that. A sound can do that. But you know what, what I thought was really interesting about this? The lepers were having a conversation. And they were saying, okay, what should we do? And one was saying, well, you know, the, the city isn't that bad. At least we do have a little dove's dung back there. But the other three were saying, well, I don't really want to go back there because if I'm going to starve to death, I don't want to starve to death with dove's dung in my belly. And another one was saying, well, you know, they, they, they are, you know, they, they are uh, eating people. Another said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And, and so there's nothing back there in the city. Now, they had more sense than some of us have. Even the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, there were a handful of them that started looking back, saying, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. I'd rather be back eating the garlic and the leeks of Egypt than to be out here. Some people are motivated by yesterday. But do you remember what your life was like before Jesus? Do you remember the kind of attitude you have? You know, maybe you didn't use foul language, but you might have been self-righteous. Maybe you, maybe you weren't a bad person. You, you might have actually been a, a very moral person, but you still were in pride. Maybe you were the kind of person that just said, I had no need of God, but yet the Lord somehow through a dream, through a sermon, through a tract, through a message, through the reading of the Bible caused you to hear a noise and your life suddenly turned and you fled into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ for your refuge. But in either case, what I'm trying to say is that you do not need to go back into your past. There's nothing there. Nothing there. You say, what's back there? Addiction. Bad relationships, job to job to job to job, that's what's back there. But when you start walking with God, God provides the stability that you need, and you can see that, that the famine starts to disappear because now, since you've turned from iniquity, God is able to put more of abundance in your possession because you're not using your resources to sin. Yeah. Well, they said we can't go back, that they couldn't stay where they were presently. Sometimes you do have to make the decision that your current circumstances aren't the best. Yeah. I've talked to young couples and I've tried to explain to them 
I know you love him, her. I know you care about them. However, God's called for your life is chastity if you're not going to be married. You need to leave and get your own place. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. We do so much better financially together than we do alone than do it together in matrimony. See, in matrimony. So sometimes the current circumstances aren't good. When we're dealing with problems in our own life that may be physical, that may lead to physical infirmities and problems, I can assure you that somewhere in America right now, there's a young man or woman curled up in a corner who's hooked on meth or crack or heroin or cocaine, and they're sitting there wanting to be free, but they don't know who to talk to. They don't know how to get out of it. They know that their current circumstances are bad. They know that. And they're saying, if I stay here, I'll die. But somebody has to be willing enough to take that first step in another direction and leave all this stuff behind and just see what's out there in the future. To see what God can do. The four leprous men were having this conversation. And do you realize before either of them got up and took that first step toward the Syrian camp, God had already caused the Syrians to disperse in different directions. What does that mean? That means that God fixed the problem before they even knew it was solved. Yeah. And God provided for them the abundance of riches and grace before they even knew that they were out there. To them, they were out there in the darkness. They had to be discovered. They were there, but they had to stumble upon them. This is what God does for us. So the four lepers, men, they said, look, this isn't good. We don't have enough pockets to carry all this stuff back home. And it's not right for us to have all of this and the people in the town don't have anything at all. So we need to go and let the king know what we have discovered. So they go back to the gate. The porter opens it up and said, what do you lepers want this time? Is that we just want to tell you the Syrians are gone and I'm telling there's wealth aplenty out there in that desert. Somebody better let the king know because we're going back out there and gobble up everything we can. There's food everywhere. That porter said, I don't believe a word you're saying. You don't have to believe it, but we're turning and going back out there into the twilight. You can stand here. But if I were you, I'd tell the king because you're going to be in trouble come sunrise when all that stuff out there is spoiled. Well, the porter goes, wakes up the king's man. The king's man goes over there, stirs the king and and says, King, uh, we we hear word from some people that are outside the town that that there's wealth out there and the Syrian army is gone and there are riches out there and there's food everywhere and and you need to make a decision. And he said, oh, no, this is a trick. The Syrians have wandered out there behind some hill and they're waiting for us to come out here and open up the gates and they're going to come running in here and slay everybody in the village and kill our army. We're not going out there at all. And the porter and the king's man said, well, look, you you need to do something because these these leprous men, they've brought the report. We've got to act on it. So he said, go out there and just see if it's true. So they sent a few people out there, found out it was true. The, The city, I mean, men and women in the middle of the night, are running out there to try to see what all of this is and everybody's grabbing stuff. And I mean, when they came back in, there was a man who in the beginning had told Elisha 
When Elisha said in 24 hours, things are going to change. He said, I don't believe it. Only if God opened the windows of heaven would it happen. And that man, and Elisha told him, you'll see it, but you won't enjoy it. And that man was standing at the gate. And so many hundreds of people came running in and running out of the gate that they trampled that man to death. Now, here's what I'm getting at. The people in the city would have never discovered the riches had they not got out of their beds and went out there to where it was at. And before you or I were ever born in this world, before your mother or father ever got together to bring about your conception, before you were twinkled in your mother's eye, God already had prepared the riches of his grace for you. They needed to be discovered. And we were in our own barren land. We were in our own desert. We were experiencing our own famine. One bad thing was happening to us after another, one difficulty after another. And then finally, we realized we had to make a decision. We said, we can sit here and die, or I can turn and go back to grandma's faith. I still remember some of those songs from Sunday school. I can sit here and die, or I can look for a church and let somebody preach to me one more time and tell me about Christ. And then when you went in there and heard the word of the Lord and was born again and your life was changed, suddenly you stumbled upon the riches of his mercy. You found out his compassions were without end. His mercies and loving kindness were new every morning. You found that the grace of God was without end. And you couldn't help but praise God. And you know what you did? You were so excited about it, you went and told somebody else what you found. You went right back to your old haunt where you used to hang out with your friends and you said, folks, I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ has saved me and I want you to experience the same joy that I've come to know. And people look at you like you're crazy. They say, really? You found joy. Well, I just think this will wear off in two weeks, just like the last trend that you got involved with. And then after two weeks, they keep looking at you and they realize this thing is real. And pretty soon they come sheepishly out of the city and then they step out there and come into the presence of God and they discover it's real. See, It's real. It's amazing what people can find in the darkness of their night if they're willing to look for God. But people will never find these things if they don't step out to see what God will do. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard of the things that God has prepared for them. These four leprous men stepped out into the twilight and discovered that God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all they could ask or think. You think God's big enough to do that for you? You think God could look at your circumstance and turn it around in 24 hours? You think he can look at problems that you're facing and then make those problems disappear immediately and cause the famine to rapidly flee from your home? I believe he can. And when we trust him, then we have every expectation that what he has done, he is doing. And what he is doing, he will do. We just simply need to run to him and throw ourselves not upon uh, good fortune or chance, but to flee to him as our refuge and our shelter, knowing that he looks out for his own. I'm telling you, folks, it's a great day to be alive. Yeah. When, when, when you know these things, you, you look at problems differently than other people. And when you know these things, you can tell the other people, I've got an answer for you if you'll just sit down and let me tell you about it. How much time do you need 
How much time do you have? I'll tell you all about it. Let's stand. It's going to be nice to get to heaven and get the other side of the stories of the different people in the stories of Scripture. I'd like to know what those leprous men thought when they realized God was behind all of this. You know, that, that's a whole, that's a totally different discussion. There's so many things that we do when we make our own decisions and then we later realize it was never us anyhow, it was all him. And, and once we realize it was all him, then in every situation we can say, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've looked upon all of us feeble folk that are in this room tonight and you've encouraged us with a word that lets us know you're bigger than any problem and every problem we could face. Over and over again, you have shown that regardless of the famine we're facing with finances, you could multiply them and have people give over into all of our bosom every day. That when we've looked in our bodies and dealt with pain and heard the doctors give reports that are not wholly good, you have again and again reminded us that you're the great physician and that your arm is not short, that it cannot rescue. You've told us again and again when we've been in bad relationships and difficulties have occurred, when we've faced problems on the job, difficulties with employees and difficulties with employers, you've shown again and again that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from you, Lord. So God, tonight, as we all make our way back into our various desert places, we thank you for the blessings we're going to stumble upon over the next few days. Thank you for putting a smile on our face and causing us to trust you and believe that there's nobody like you. These things, oh God, we pray for in the matchless name of Jesus and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Isn't God good?